This anointed teaching by Apostle Theo Volmerans comes to you from Christian Family Church International. Good morning, Christian Family Church, Johannesburg. So awesome to be with you again. Now, this is a brand new message here this morning titled, How David Defeats His Enemies. How David Defeats His Enemies. Now, we know that David had a number of enemies uh, that he conquered like Goliath, like the lions and the bears and many other things he, he defeated in his life. But we're going to look at a principle of David. First of all, before we start, I'd like to ask all of you in the main auditorium, in the Dr. Theo, the Dr. Bev, the theater, and the Sheila Palmer to give God a praise God, a great big praise God. And uh, so glad we could be in church, right? And for you that are at home, won't you join us and give God a great big praise this morning? All right. Now then, how David defeated his enemies. And I'm going to start with 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 10. 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 10. From the New Living Translation. Now, what we're about to read is the result of David messing up with Beersheba. You remember Beersheba? A beautiful girl married to Um, Uriah the Hittite, one of David's mighty men, who risked his life for David several times. And uh, he committed adultery with her, and then he murdered Uriah. And a terrible time in David's life, wasn't it? And so glad that was the only time David messed up, and and he truly repented. And the rest of his life, he continued serving God as he should have been and as, always, as he always did. But here now, the prophet Nathan comes to David and explains to him what kind of harvest he's going to receive because of what he's done. Because every time we sow a bad seed, we're going to receive a bad harvest. And if we sow a good seed, we'll receive a good harvest. God said, God is not mocked, whatever man sows, that he shall also reap, right? Well, let's see what happened. 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 10. From this time on, the sword will be a constant threat to your family because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. This is a prophecy from Nathan the prophet. It's the word of the Lord to David. Because of what you've done, the Lord will cause, allow your household to rebel against you. So watch in verse 10, he says, from this time on, the sword will be a constant threat to your family. In other words, there's going to be violence in your family. And then in verse 11, he says, I'm going to cause your own household to rebel against you. Your own children will rebel against you. And I'll give your wives to another man. I will allow your wives to be given to another man, and he will go to bed with them in public view. Wow, that's pretty heavy. 
That's pretty heavy. You did it secretly with Bathsheba, but I will do it to you openly in the sight of all Israel. Somebody else is going to go to bed with your wives in the sight of all Israel. Very interesting. I will allow it to be done to you. I will allow it to be done to you. Now, King David had over 300 wives. David's son, Absalom, and David's daughter, Tamar, had the same mother. David was the father, obviously, of both of those people, Absalom and Tamar. David's son, Ammon, was born from a different mother. Ammon was very much in love with Tamar, his half-sister. Now, you know that Abraham and Sarah were half-brother, half-sister, right? God allowed them to get married. That all changed in time. But anyway, these two were in love. Ammon raped Tamar, his half-sister, and David did not punish him for it. Absalom decided to take revenge for his sister and killed his half-brother Ammon. So Ammon, so, so Absalom was the brother of Tamar and he killed Ammon for raping his sister. So Absalom fled from Israel and lived in a foreign country for three years. After three years, David allowed him to come back to Israel. According to 2 Samuel chapter 15, after Absalom had resettled in Israel, he bought a chariot and horses. He hired 50 men to run ahead of him. Absalom would get up early in the morning and go and sit in the city gate. All right. So everybody would come in and out of that gate when they went into the city, to Jerusalem. And this scripture tells us here in 2 Samuel chapter 15 that Absalom went and bought a bunch of horses, white horses, and a beautiful kingly chariot. He had these horses trotting out in front of him. And he hired 50 men to run ahead of him, ahead of the horses, as he rode into town. And then he would dismount at the city gate. Now, when people brought their cases to King David for judgment, two people having an argument, and they would come to the king, he'd hear the case and choose which was right and which was wrong. But they had to come through the gate, right? And so they'd stop and bow before Prince Absalom. And he'd say, so... How can I help you today? And this man would say, well, I've got a problem with so-and-so who lives down the street. He did this, he did that to me. Let's call him Joseph. Joseph did this to me. So Absalom would say, you know, you have a strong case, a strong case. I wish I were a judge in the land. Then people could bring me their problems and I could give them justice. In other words, he's saying, you know what, Fred Bloggs, you are right. 
then he would walk off and think, wow, you know, great. Now imagine King David says, when he hears the case, he says, you know what? Joe Soap is right. Fred Bloggs is wrong. So then Fred Bloggs goes home thinking, you know what? Absalom got it. He understood. King David doesn't. That's why I lost the case. Anyway, so here comes Joseph. A little while later, he's coming to the king. They go to a meeting together here, and Joseph and Fred Bloggs, and they're going to stand before the king. So Absalom is standing there, and this man comes along, bows before him, and says, How can I help you, Joseph? Joseph says, Well, you know, I've got this case with Fred Bloggs. And um, he says, Yes, I know. Fred Bloggs just went through going to see the king. He says, tell me your story. What he tells in the story, he says, you know, Joseph, you have a strong case. If only I were a judge in the land, then I could give you justice. So Joseph and Fred Bloggs both think that Absalom agrees with their point of view. So whatever King David says, one of them is going to be happy, one's not. And the one that's not is going to think Absalom is right. And the one that David started with is going to think, yes, Absalom got it. He was right all along. So this is the game that he played. Now, how long did Absalom sit at the gate to do this? How long did he do that for? Did he do four days? No. Four weeks? No. Four months? No, four years. Four years he did that. And in that four-year period, Absalom won the hearts of all of Israel. Then Absalom went to seek the king and asked permission to go to Hebron and make a sacrifice to the Lord. All right, now think about this. He wanted to say thank you to God for bringing him back to Israel and giving him favor with King David, his father, again. Because remember, he killed his brother for raping Tamar, his half-brother, and he had to flee. He lived outside of Israel for three years. Eventually, David said he could come home, and he did. And now for four years, he's been planning to overthrow his father, the king. And take the throne. David doesn't know this. So he says to the king, can I take all the leaders of Israel to Hebron because I want to go worship God and thank him for giving me favor with you again. What a lie. So 200 leaders went with Absalom to Hebron as special guests. Absalom convinced these 200 leaders of Israel that he would overthrow his father David and that he would become the next king. So Absalom sent secret messengers to every part of Israel saying, as soon as you hear the trumpets, you will know that Absalom has been crowned king in Hebron. When you hear the trumpets in the land, you know that I'm the king. A messenger soon arrived in Jerusalem to tell King David, all Israel has joined Absalom in a conspiracy against you 
They are marching towards Jerusalem as we speak. King David, Absalom is sending an army to kill you right now as we speak. David is shocked. What are you talking about? Well, King David, your son Absalom has declared himself the king in Hebron. He's notified the whole nation, and all your leaders are supporting him. Can you imagine what a shock? David decides to flee from Jerusalem. He doesn't want a war to break out in the city because innocent people will get hurt. So David went east up the Mount of Olives. He was bare feet and his head was covered as a sign of mourning. David was weeping as he went up the Mount of Olives, bare feet on the cobblestones. Um, the reason for that is it's a sign of mourning, fasting, repenting before God. Because David feels maybe he's done some terrible sin, which he knows he did with um, Bathsheba, but he repented and God forgave him for that. But this is now the harvest. All right, in 2 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 30, we read, David walked up the road that led to Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered, his feet were bare as a sign of mourning. And the people who were with him covered their heads and wept as they climbed the mountain. So there were a handful of people who went up with David. 2 Samuel 16, verse 5. Then as King David and his party passed Baharim, a man came out of the village cursing them. It was Shimei, son of Gera, a member of King Saul's family. He threw stones at King David and the king's officers and all the mighty warriors who surrounded David. Get out of here, you murderer. You scoundrel, he shouted at King David. The Lord is paying you back for murdering King Saul and his family. Of course, David didn't do that. He was killed by the Philistines. We're still verse 8. The man says, you stole his throne, and now the Lord has given it to your son Absalom. At last you will... Taste some of your own medicine, you murderer. Imagine this pipsqueak saying that to the king. Verse 9, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? One of his soldiers said, Abishai, son of Zariah, demanded, let me go over there and cut off his head. <laughs> you can't blame him. All right, no, the king said, verse 10. Now skip down to verse 14. The king and all who were with him grew weary along the way, so they rested when they came or reached the Jordan River. Meanwhile, Absalom and his men arrived at Jerusalem, accompanied by Ahithophel. Ahithophel. All right, as this story rolls out, David had two advisors among his advisors, who were extremely brilliant, extremely brilliant, had the anointing of God upon them. The one was Ahithopal, and second was Hushai. Now, Ahithopal 
happened to be the grandfather of Bathsheba. All right? And so when David messed with Bathsheba, Ethopal was not happy. His heart turned to David. Hushai now is as loyal as you. You can't get more loyal than Hushai. And he comes to David and he says, David, I'm running with you. And David said, no. He says, you can do more for me by going to Absalom and neutralizing the good advice that Ahithophel will give him. Because Ahithophel will tell Absalom how to defeat me, but you can torpedo that advice, all right? So let's go back to verse 15 now. Meanwhile, Absalom and his men arrived at Jerusalem, accompanied by Ahithophel, this wise man, when David's friend Hushai, the archite, arrived, he went immediately to see Absalom, the king. Long live the king, he exclaimed. Long live the king. Is this the way you treat your friend David? Absalom asked him. Why aren't you with David? I'm here because I work for the man who is chosen by the Lord and by Israel. Hushai replied, God chose you, Israel chose you, therefore I must work for you and serve you. And anyway, why shouldn't I serve you? I helped your father and now I will help you. Then Absalom, David's son, the new king of Israel, turned to Ethipal, his advisor, and asked him, what should I do next? Now he's in Jerusalem, right? Is in David's palace. Hithabal told him, go and sleep with your father's concubines, with his wives, for he has left them here to keep the house. Then all Israel will know that you've insulted him beyond hope of reconciliation, and they will give you their support. So they set up a tent on the palace roof where everyone could see it, and Absalom went into the tent to sleep with his father's wives. All right. Now let's think about that. This prophecy that Nathan gave to David is now coming to pass. Here on the roof of the palace, the whole of Jerusalem can see Absalom go into the tent with David's wives. Now why was this strategy given by Ahithophel to David. Because as Ahithophel said in verse 21, that all Israel will know that you have insulted your father beyond hope of reconciliation. In other words, now David and Absalom can never be reconciled. Impossible. So that forces the nation of Israel to choose one or the other because they can't choose both. That's never going to happen. So, Ezebal's thinking that people will choose Absalom because he won their hearts. So do it. Force the people to make a choice. 
So he went to the father's wives. Now, in the meantime, David had been through something similar many times or this before. David went through this as a teenager, remember? He was hunted down by King Saul, remember that? And he ran from the age of 17 to the age of 30 through the hills, the valleys, and other countries, hiding from the army of Israel. So this is not new. Now the army of Israel is after him again. But this time, though, it's his own son trying to kill him. Now David hid in the mountains and the caves for all those years. Now it's his own son trying to kill him. So these memories come flooding back. All right, 200 leaders of Israel have decided to turn against David. All the leaders that were trust, trusted and faithful to David, to, to David, now they've turned on him. The whole nation has rejected David and chosen Absalom as their new king. David has lost the palace. He's lost his family. He's lost his nation. He's lost his wives all in one day. One day. David is fleeing once more into the caves and the hills to hide. This is tragic for David, far worse than King Saul trying to kill him. Far worse. David is weeping as he goes. He thinks even God has forsaken him. His few soldiers are unorganized because they just grabbed their stuff and fled. Just a handful, just his personal bodyguards. That's all he had with him. Now, David's not thinking like a soldier right now. David and the few people he has with him need time to regroup and reorganize, to plan a battle strategy to defend themselves. So they fled across the Jordan River, east into the wilderness of Judah. East into the wilderness of Judah. And Absalom mobilized the entire army of Israel to go after King David and his few men. Now, if you read the account, you'll see that Ethopal said to David, just take a handful of mighty warriors and go out after David. Because right now he's unorganized and you'll kill him and those soldiers will scatter after you kill him. And so Hushai didn't want that. He knew that there would be a problem. David's not ready for this. He's got to get organized. So he tried to stall it. And he said, look, Absalom, I recommend you don't do Ethopal's plan. I recommend what you do is you mobilize the entire nation of Israel and you personally lead them. And you go and you swamp David and all of his men and destroy him. And if they hide in a city somewhere, tear that city down stone by stone and kill them all. So, King Absalom liked that idea better, that he would go out himself and fight. Okay. So that gave, that gave time to David to regroup because by the time he had, it, took, it must have taken four or five days, maybe a week, to get the whole nation of Israel to come together. And that's the time that David needed to rethink and re-strategize so that he could get, prepare for what was coming. Now, so there was a great slaughter. Absalom died. 
20,000 Israelites, Israelite soldiers died that day in the forest of Ephraim. It's difficult to imagine how David must have felt that day. 200 leaders in Israel turned against him. The whole nation rejected him as king. They all came to try and kill him. He lost his palace. He lost his own family that turned against him to try and kill him. Even though David felt like God himself had abandoned him, he went to God alone in prayer. Even though he thought God had abandoned him, David went to God in prayer. David began to seek the Lord. And David wrote a psalm during the time of loneliness, during this time of terrible heartache, of insecurity and fear. David wrote this psalm. I'd like to read it, Psalm 63, verse 1. Listen to David as he talks to the Lord here. Oh Lord, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there's no water. Now David is in the forests of Ephraim all alone, in the forest alone. And he hasn't got a nice sleeping bag to sleep on either. He might have had some kind of blanket. And he's lying on the grass in the bush, looking up at the stars. You are my God, I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there's no water. I've seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. He's praising God. All hell's broken loose against him. And he thinks God's abandoned him. But how I praise you. Wow. I will praise you as long as I live. I'll praise you, God. Lifting up my hands to your name or in your name or in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast, I will praise you with songs of joy. Songs of joy? In this sad, sad moment? I'll praise you with songs of joy? What's that say? That means, God, I'm trusting you. I believe you've got this for me. This battle is yours. You are going to deliver me. I'm so happy that you are my deliverer right now. I can't see it, but I believe it. So I'll praise you with joy because I believe it. Now, I don't know what you're going through, but if you'll lift your hands up at home and say, God, I'm going to praise you with joy. Even though I can't see the victory, I know who gives me the victory. This battle is yours. I resist this problem in the name of Jesus. And I declare this battle is the Lord. So I praise you, God, with joy in the name of Jesus. That's what David did. Verse 6, I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. He's not sleeping. There's no night to sleep. This is a night to praise. Because you are my helper, I will sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. He's got no guarantee. He's going to make it. But he's praising God because he knows God's his helper. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. But those 
plotting to destroy me will come to ruin. They will go down into the depths of the earth. They will die by the sword and become the food of jackals. So now he's confessing destruction over his enemies. Now, this is exactly what we learned in part three and part four of standing against fear, right? How the king Saul destroyed the uh, nations that came against him. And remember, God said, you must condemn your problems. And in other words, like Saul did, the nations that came against him harassed them. So here, he's saying the same thing. David is actually doing that now. David is speaking death to and destruction to those who want to kill him. He says, they will die by the sword and become the food of jackals, but the king will rejoice in God. But I will rejoice in God. All who trust in God will praise him, while liars will be silent. All those who believe in God and know that God is their deliverer will praise Him. You could say it this way. If you praise Him, that's evidence that you believe He is delivering you. Praise is the evidence of your faith, child of God. When God sees you praising Him in the eye of your storm, God says, I must deliver this man. I can't leave him can't abandon him. So, that's the guarantee of your victory. The dark night in the forest of Ephraim, of Judah. David spent that night in prayer and praising God. He pressed into God that night, and God heard him, answered his prayer, and delivered him. God changed the tide that was coming against him. God stopped the tsunami of destruction coming against him. God turned an impossible situation around supernaturally. One man seeking God changed everything. You can have that victory. Hebrews 11, 6. He who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a reward of those who diligently seek him. Oh, yes. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. When you press into God, confess over your problems, Praise God for the victory and stay in the Word and worship God. You're going to overcome. You are an overcomer, just like David. We know that Absalom died that day in a fierce battle. His hair got caught in the trees. His hair got over the branches. It was so long and thick. And his horse went on without him. And they put a spear right through his heart. We know that Absalom died that day in a fierce battle and David was restored back to his throne. David was restored back to his throne. God turned an impossible situation around for David and he wants to do it for you. It's the principles that did it. It's not because David was good looking. No, it was the principles, the heart of David. That's why God did it. And God will do all of that for us too. He hasn't changed. These, are, these stories are in the Bible for us to follow as principles for our victories against our challenges. And the reason I'm teaching these things is because of what's coming. God wants us to be strong and victorious. 
Because if you're victorious and you overcome, you will win souls for Christ. Left, right, and center. All right. So next week, we talk about Esther, Queen Esther. Very powerful story about Mordecai and Haman. Don't miss next weekend. All right. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. How many would say, Apostle Theo, I want to be sure that I wake up in heaven one day. I don't want to miss heaven. Can I be sure I will? Yes, you can. Right now while you're sitting here, you can know in your heart, God can put the assurance in your heart that you will go to heaven. And if that's something you desire from the Lord, then I'm going to invite you to invite God to speak to your heart, and He will. All you need to do is invite Him by slipping your hand up and taking it down before I pray. So I'm going to count to three. If you'll slip your hand up, when I count to three, God will speak to you during my prayer and give you the assurance that you will go to heaven and that you are His child. All right? I'm counting. While heads about, eyes are closed, I'm looking and Jesus is looking. Here we go. One, two, three. Thank you. Praise God. All right, everybody please say this prayer with me, especially those of you that raised your hand to the Lord. Let's all say the prayer together. Here we go. Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus. You punished him on the cross for my sins so I can be forgiven. Please forgive me, Lord Jesus. Come into my heart. Save my life. You are the Lord of my life. From today, I will live for you with all my heart. Thank you for saving me. I'm now God's child. God is my Father. I'm bound for heaven. Praise God I'm saved. Now you may open your eyes, give them a great big praise to God. And if you said that prayer for the very first time and you stay in fellowship with Jesus, that means you read your Bible, you talk to Jesus, and you come to church, you will make it to heaven. Don't let the devil talk you out of it. You will. Now, Pastor Bev and I love you and we are praying for you continually and thank you for praying for us as well. Say this, I believe we have revival in CFC. We have a revival in CFC. Souls are being saved. I am a soul winner. Praise God. We love you all. See you next week with Esther. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerantz. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerantz and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com. Thank you.